Hey, fellow scouts. Kent Garrison here from The Athletic. Today's episode of Prospects to Pros is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded Game Time and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score some last minute tickets. Without further ado, here's Chris Burke and Dane Brewer. Welcome to another episode of the Prospects to Pros podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Chris Burke, joined momentarily by Dane Brugler. We got producer Kent Garrison uh, behind the scenes. Before we get going, as always, just kind of a quick reminder that we have uh, two episodes per week. The first one is this Tuesday one you can get for free on iTunes and everywhere else. Uh, And our second one will be Thursdays. That's uh, for athletic.com subscribers only. And uh, those episodes, if you get them through the uh, Athletic app, all those episodes are ad-free as well. So as are our articles, which uh, people seem to like when they subscribe and, and check out the site. So um, if you go to theathletic.com uh, slash prospects to pros, you can still get 40% off a subscription there. It's uh, about 3 bucks a month. So pretty good deal, uh, if I can say that. <laughs> you get the, all the podcasts, all the uh, subscriber-only podcasts. We just launched... All our NHL podcasts with the season starting Wednesday night. Um, and then you get access to all our sites too, all our content, our written content. So tons of stuff. Uh, every sport you could possibly be interested in at the moment, uh, we're, we're covering. So make sure you get in there. And again, that's theathletic.com slash prospects to pros. You can get 40% off. So uh, with that, we'll bring in uh, Dame Brugler here. And uh, we're, we're going to run down. You, you released your new big board. We'll get into that in a minute, but uh, just wanted to see if you had any uh, initial thoughts on what you saw this week in college football and, and maybe the NFL too, if you you wanted to go that way. Yeah, we uh, it wasn't a weekend full of upsets or uh, you know anything too notable, but you know I think there's just like every weekend there's takeaways. Uh, we almost had a big upset with uh, North Carolina playing a heck of a game uh, against Clemson, coming down to that two point conversion. Uh, I think like most people love the decision to go for two. Unfortunately, <laughs> play call is a little, that was going to be my question. Yeah, yeah. A little suspect, but, uh, you know, it's, I get it. You know, it's something that, uh, it's an athletic defense and, you know, with guys like Isaiah Simmons and, uh, Xavier Thomas and, uh, guys that have in the secondary, it's a, tough to run an option, uh, at the, at the goal line uh, against a team like that. But, you know, a heck of an effort. And it'll be interesting. You know, I know we focus more on prospects, not necessarily playoffs and things like that, but it will be interesting moving forward if Clemson shows, uh, you know, more vulnerability against ACC foes, which we didn't think would necessarily be a thing this year with the ACC looking like it has. Um, But with that said, I was surprised. Uh, ACC has uh, just as many prospects in my updated top 60 draft board as the big 10 
uh, as the Big 12 and as the the Pac-12. So uh, the SEC is pretty far ahead, but the next four Power 5 conferences were pretty even in terms of uh, who was represented. Um, Notre Dame gets out of Virginia with the... Uh, you know, yep. victory, and that was something that you know we talked about the pass rush and how that would be a factor against Georgia. But the Georgia offensive line did a really nice job. Well, the Virginia offensive line didn't do such a nice job. And uh, <laughs> Julian Aquara went off, had what two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. Uh, even uh, Khalid Kareem, uh, who's known as more of an edge setter, he he was terrific uh, as well. So. Um, you know, those are a few things that stood out for me. What about you? Yeah, we talked a little bit, too, about just the need for the bounce-back game. So that was a big one, I think, for Julian Okawara. I mean, we know what a good player he is. Clemson was or, uh, getting the matchup the week before. Um, it was a tough one. But, yeah, I mean, I think uh, coming back and having that big game against Virginia, uh, huge for him. Um, I, <laughs> I mentioned on our Thursday show, I thought Penn State Maryland might be interesting. I'll chalk that up <laughs> as a whiff. That was a. Oh, I thought so too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. Maryland, the offense, the best offense in college football, two weeks into the season, and then they got dominated by Temple, and uh, they looked lost against Penn State. Uh, just a uh, an embarrassing showing on Friday night. Uh, that was that was surprising. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about uh, Eater Gross Matos. The Penn State edge guy last week <laughs> might have to get into Penn State a little deeper now as they're you know four and zero kind of on the the verge of the top ten here. Um, yeah, Arizona State had a good win Friday night though that one did hold up. Arizona State Cal was a good game went down to the wire. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State just uh, that was another one I thought Nebraska might hang with and we you mentioned the big line going into that game and I guess Vegas had it right uh, another one that wasn't close forty eight to seven and they're looking. I mean, they're loaded on both sides of the ball. And, again, we'll get into that here uh, shortly because uh, your number one player is the same guy it's been for uh, since the start of this thing, which is Chase Young. Um, so, you know, obviously Ohio State loaded. And then Washington, uh, and I know we're going to touch on their quarterback momentarily too, but a good win for them um, mm-hmm. at home against USC just to get back uh, to one and one in the Pac-12 and uh, sort of right the ship there. That's a, a top 25 win for them. So, yeah, I mean, it was uh, – it definitely was a an interesting weekend. Kansas State got knocked off by Oklahoma State. Another one of your guys there, Chubba Howard. Uh, what did he go? Two ninety six and a touchdown. So that's a pretty nice not day bad. against the top twenty five <laughs> team. So, yeah, it, not a, not the greatest weekend, but some good finishes and some good games for sure. Yeah, and two other names I wanted to mention: Jalen Hurts uh, again for what he's doing. Um, just I know he has not faced a defense at the pulse yet. Uh, Texas Tech. Barely showed much fight on that side of the ball, but he continues to impress, and uh, we will be talking about him here shortly. And then, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, later on with Jordan Love going up against Colorado State was not a pretty performance for him. Uh, you know, it was in the rain, there's some adversity, and so, you know, it's not, a, it was not a great. Uh, performance by him and this week he's uh, going to Baton Rouge to face an LSU team so it's not going to get much better uh, Jordan Love's going to be uh, much more of a polarizing prospect uh, unless he kind of picks things up here in the next few weeks no, and then also I wanted to mention uh, Devontae Smith the Alabama receiver uh, for what he did against Ole Miss uh, the SEC the last two weeks and I we had this stat out on 
uh, on Twitter, uh, Jason Starrett, one of our editors on the college football side, had this uh, with, hit with 200 yards receiving, four touchdowns. The SEC has had two receivers do that the last two weeks. Uh, they had one perform one receiver do that in the SEC between 2000 and 2018 combined. So that was Mike Evans back in 2013, and they've done it in back-to-back weeks. Uh, so it's just a lot more offense in the SEC than than we're used to. And Devontae Smith just he went off. Uh, you know, Jerry Judy, Rugs. That those two guys get most of the pub, and with good reason. They're both uh, first round players. But Devontae Smith showed why, you know, he deserves to be talked about as a next-level guy as well. And, yeah, you, meant, you mentioned Hurts. Uh, I said we wanted to get into your top 60 here, uh, the latest big board. also wanted to get into some guys throughout the question on Twitter. If, if you had any prospects you want us to get to, and we'll sort of carry that over uh, to some of these shows. Make sure you hit us up. I'm at Chris Burke NFL. Dane's at DP, DP Brugler. Um, Jordan Love was one of those names that was on there. So, uh We've talked about him a few times now on the show, just as someone that you're sort of tracking as the year goes on. Jalen Hurts just snuck in to the top 60. Like you said, still waiting to see him against a, a really good defense. I mean, he had the, uh, I think it was like third and 17, the throw, the t- touchdown <laughs> pass to Charleston Rambo that was just, I mean, I <laughs> you get the you get the stats, I give him credit. It was Essentially, you know, one of the like classic third and long arm punts that turned into a touchdown and a nice right. throw, but good play by the wide receiver. But I think the thing that uh, jumped out to me, even watching this week's game, is that when the pressure, there wasn't a ton of it, but when the pressure did get there, he's handling it well. He's making some nice throws sort of off platform when he's on his back foot, you know, when his shoulders aren't necessarily squared up. He had a really nice throw to the end zone um, when he was essentially just, you know, sort of parallel to the line of scrimmage um I, I think that that's sort of something that jumped out for me is there anything about uh his progress to this point this season that's that's really stood out for you like I said you've got him in your your top 60 you said you sort of extended the board out a little bit here to make sure you can get a couple guys on but um what's jumped out for you so far uh, just the confidence that he's playing with I mean he just looks like a different player and you know part of that is just the the natural maturity um you know he was always more of a mature guy he started as a redshirt freshman at Alabama um you, you consider everything he's been through the adversity of uh being benched at halftime at, at the national title game and then watching Tua come in and uh, win that game win the title um last year all the talk about transferring or not and you know, two is the guy, two is the guy he's going to be, he's the favorite for the Heisman. And then uh, they need him in the SEC title game and he's, he's ready. He steps in and he throws a touchdown pass and wins the game for Alabama and then goes to Oklahoma where Lincoln Riley caters the playbook to his strengths. And so um, I, I think that, you know, with everything he's been through, the mental toughness that he's shown is commendable. And then the confidence that he's playing with right now is translating to the football field and translating to the production. And it's absolutely fair to point out that they have not played a defense that's really uh, going to give you an accurate depiction of what it's going to be like at the NFL level. I mean, that, that is fair to say, but Jalen Hurts can only do what Jalen Hurts can do. And he's playing the opponents that are in front of him, and he's performing at a high level. Um, and he also benefits from a, an elite supporting cast. The two running backs they have with Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks, the receivers are ridiculous. The offensive line, only one starter back, uh, Creed Humphrey, a center who's 
uh, also in this top 60. But he's the glue of that offensive line, and everyone else is gelling pretty well around him. So there's so much talent. And I, I don't know if Oklahoma is going to be tested the rest of the year uh, on that side of the ball. Um, you know, Texas, we saw what Joe Burrow did against that defense. You know, TCU doesn't have uh, a dominant defense this year. So, you know, I don't, as he goes through the, Oklahoma goes through the Big 12 schedule. I don't know if we're really going to see anything, maybe until if Oklahoma gets to the playoffs. Uh, we're not going to see a defense. And maybe someone will surprise, maybe an Iowa State will step up uh, like we've seen in past years and surprise us. But, um, you know, hopefully we do see more pressure on the pocket because that's, that's really going to be the best way of showing just where his development is in terms of his eye use, in terms of his pocket presence. Uh, but so far, so good for Jalen Hurts. He has deserved a spot in this top 60. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly something to be said, too, for just, you know, it's always the the old saying, like, you can, like you've said, the, you can only play the teams that are there. You can only play the teams on your schedule. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for showing up every week, even against – you know, South Dakota and, and Houston at the start of the year and, and just putting up those big numbers regardless of what's going on around you. And probably another one this week, uh, they go to Kansas. I'm sure that's that doesn't really set up to be a big t- test. Then they have Texas, and then uh, they don't play another ranked team, I mean, currently ranked team, until the end of the year when they go to Oklahoma State. So, um, but, you know, you can't knock the guy for his performance at all just because they're not playing some of those big name or those top 25 teams. So, uh, just the consistency, I guess, is another thing that you sort of watch. If it's if it's fluctuating even against mediocre opponents, maybe that raises an eyebrow a little bit, but it hasn't so far. Uh, and he's been he's been right. really good, like you said. And I guess I should mention it. It's a, you know we sort of talked about Jordan Love. You still have him in your top ten uh, on this latest draft board. So I don't want, I didn't want to make it sound like he's falling or struggling so much that there's major concerns uh, about him. I guess propping up, but. Um, I was wondering if we could just maybe circle back on him because we you said you have seven quarterbacks in this top 60. Uh, Jalen Hurts is down right at the bottom of that top 60. But Love is in the top 10 still, and you haven't really shifted him around. I was trying to go back and look and see where you had him uh, at the start was, of the year, and it's the same 10. spot, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so right. <laughs> a no movement for him is that – I mean, should we read that? Is that you're still feeling pretty good about him, even if it's been uh, maybe a little rocky at times? Well, I think that's the trouble with doing a draft board in September, you know, because uh, I did one in the preseason and Jordan Love was 10. Uh, you know, we've seen a handful of games this year and there's been some ups, there's been some downs with him. And I don't want to overreact to anything we've seen so far. Um, I, I still think that he is because, again, we we talk about scouting and projecting the next level. It's much more about the traits than the production or anything else. And with Jordan Love, the traits are still there, uh, and, and it's obvious. Uh, he's a very loose passer, and I mentioned this before, but uh, the words Mahomes-like has been used when I talked to scouts over the summer. Uh, just because he is such a loose passer, he's so uh, he's creative with the way he uses his legs, the way he can improvise on the move, um, and he makes it look pretty easy. It just it's natural to him, and so there's a lot to like about his skill set. And he's still growing. There's no question. His decision making is not where it needs to be right now. Um, and he, w- I think he will get there with more experience. But uh, it's just it's going to take time. And so I, I still think that if the draft were tomorrow, he would be a top ten pick uh, because I think scouts are that excited about what he could be once he gets pro coaching and once you know they 
uh, dial it back a little bit and get him, uh, you know, really uh, confined within what their playbook is and what they want him to do and then kind of let him loose. Kind of like what they did with Mahomes in Kansas City. He went to a perfect situation with Andy Reid. Uh, you watch his last year at Texas Tech. He had double-digit interceptions. There were times where he had he had a better backpedal than some corners that I watched. You know, in the in the pocket, like that's just he would do some things that just made you go, "Well, that's not going to work in the NFL." Now, you know, the asterisk is Pat Mahomes is pretty special uh, with just the way he can do things differently than what we've seen. He's a very out of the box quarterback and uh, kind of uh, just a one of a kind type of guy, and so. Uh, it's a lot to put on Jordan Love in terms of expectations, but scouts are excited about him. So I'm keeping it at number 10. And yeah, like you like you mentioned, the, the theme of this was the seven quarterbacks. And there were four quarterbacks in my preseason draft board. Um, and all four are still in there, but three additions. And the of the three additions, two were surprises, Hurts being one of them, the other surprise being Joe Burrow. Um uh, not a complete surprise. It's not like Joe Burrow came out of nowhere. This isn't a, you know, oh, wow, this guy is, you know, we didn't know about him. I mean, he was a mid-round pick coming into the year. Uh, that Those are the type of grades he was receiving from scouts. But so far, so good. And similar to Hertz, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily played a defense that's, you know, really uh, been uh, the uh, the biggest competition for him. Texas was tough, but Joe Burrow will be drafted more for what he does against Florida coming up. And then Alabama, and then what they do down the stretch, uh, you know, a team like Auburn uh, will give him a tougher test on defense. So what he does against those teams will be a much better measuring stick than the defense that we've seen up to this point. Uh, and then the other quarterback, uh, not a surprise, Jacob Eason, um, coming into the year, we knew he's a former five-star guy. Uh, there's a lot of ability there, but since he hadn't played in two years, uh, it just didn't feel right, including him in the preseason draft board. And, uh, but through five games, um, you know, it's, he's, uh, got the power arm. He's six, five, 230 pounds, moves pretty well. He's, he's being smart with the football. Um, now he's, he's still got a ways to go as well, but with just those raw traits, uh, it's easy to see him as being a guy that teams will look at and say, uh, yeah, this is this is going to be a guy we consider in the first round. And uh, just back to Burrow for a second, uh, Brody Miller, one of our writers at TheAthletic.com, uh, had a story up a couple weeks ago about just how hard Burrow has worked to improve his arm strength, and that uh, was one of the big criticisms, I guess, when he was at Ohio State, even within you know the coaching staff, a lot of stories there about the coaching staff sort of just uh, jabbing him when he was a freshman. His arm wasn't up to par. They weren't going to be able to play him if he didn't strengthen his arm. Um, is that an area where he's gotten better? Is that still the big concern? You know, that sort of stand or one of the big concerns that stands out is the arm strength there. Do you think that he's got enough of that now to be NFL caliber? I mean, yeah, like you said, you've got him top, you've got him number thirty-three, so he's obviously in that mix. But is that uh, something that might hold him back? No, I think he definitely has. I mean, he has a stronger arm than Fromm, um, Jake Fromm, who also was in this. And Fromm's just ahead of him because um, at this point, we just there's a better body of work against better competition with Fromm than we have with uh, Burrow. Uh, but if Burrow goes out and does what he does or what he has done against uh, Texas and these teams, Vanderbilt, if he does that against Florida and Alabama, then you better believe Burrow's going to move up uh, because the arm, it does look stronger. And, you know, in, in Burrow's defense, 
going up against in practice against uh, Dwayne Haskins, I'm sure that made his arm look uh, not quite as powerful. Uh, but it does look a little stronger than last year. And, you know, I, I think it's that, that that's good information because it can be tough to figure out, OK, is his arm just stronger or is he using better mechanics? Is he following through? Is he you know, it could be a little tough figuring that out. Uh, but it is so that is definitely good to know that it's something that it was a point of emphasis uh, this this offseason for him to work on. And uh, it, it's something that has shown it, there's just there is a little more zip on his passes. And uh, that could mean all the difference between, uh, you know, when it's with those tight windowed throws. And again, if you want to check out that uh, story on Joe Burrow or C. Dane's latest big board uh, and you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, you can get on. At theathletic.com slash prospects to pros, get 40% off, $2.99 a month. You get access to all this, plus our subscriber only podcast that we have later in the week. Um, I just on the quarterback, we're talking about the quarterbacks real quick, but you had um, Justin Herbert bumped up a spot from seven to six from your earlier big board to now. And that's, I'm assuming, mainly because Dylan Moses is no longer there uh, because of the injury that he suffered. I just, when you have a guy like that that you know is really good and probably still going to be on the radar post-injury, sort of, how do you handle that situation, I guess, knowing that he's going to be out right. all year with the knee? But uh, sort of the window on those rehabs puts him back, I, I don't know, maybe the start, maybe rookie mini camp. I mean, it just sort of stretching out and, and trying to figure out when you'd see him again. Um, maybe he can do some of the drills at the combine or something like that. But um, how much does that – Heard a guy like Dylan Moses, who, like I said, was number six in your board uh, to start the year. Yeah, no, it, it it just it puts him in limbo, really. And same thing, uh, Walker Little from Stanford. Uh, yeah, he was uh, in the 30s in the preseason draft board. He dropped off completely because of the injury. Uh, it just it, it puts you in wait and see mode because it, you know there's no question ACLs uh, and you know other knee injuries and other injuries are different than they were 10, 20 years ago in terms of rehab and recovery, but still uh, not every knee responds the same way. And so it's not as easy as saying, well, he'll just get cleaned up and he'll be back in eight months or whatever. You know, it's just, it's not that simple. And so, uh, you know, until if Dylan Moses decides to declare, um, if surgery goes well, his rehab goes well, he decides to declare, then, you know, I, He'll, he'll be stuck in limbo until we get to the combine. And, you know, I talk to some of my sources with teams and find out what's going on with the knee. Is he full go? Is he, you know, this is something that teams are not worried about. And, uh, you know, as long if I get that response, then, okay, all of a sudden Dylan Moses is going to vault back into the, uh, you know, t- top 30 somewhere. Um, but if, you know, until we hear that, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a difficult thing to project because, it's above my pay grade. Uh, you know, we don't have medical degrees to figure out exactly, <laughs> right. you know, how that knee's responding. Um, so it's unfortunate for the player because, yeah, he was a top 10 talent coming into the year. Um, and now he's just unfortunately not on the board. Um, and that kind of leads me to a few other players, uh, like Trey, da- or, um, excuse me, Trey Adams, the offensive tackle for Washington, who, Hadn't played much the last two years because the ACL had the back surgery. Um, and so he was a first round pick prior to those injuries. But coming into this year, I didn't include him on the preseason draft board because I wasn't sure just what he was going to look like. Uh, but now coming back with five games under his belt, he looks fantastic. He looks back to the player that we saw two years ago who probably would have been the f- first tackle drafted, not Mike McGlinchey. 
in that draft. Um, and so, so far, so good for Trey Adams. Um, he comes in at number 32. Uh, and there was a few other guys like that. Um, oh, um, Terrell Lewis from Alabama. If this guy's healthy, he's a first-round pick. Easy. But he same kind of thing. Last two years, he's dealt with a few injuries. And then this year, he's already missed one game because of an injury. So uh, the medicals would be a huge thing for him. So he's right now at number 40 overall on the board. Uh, but if he gets a clean bill of health and he's considered fully healthy, he is a first-round player uh, as a pass rusher. Really good player on that Alabama defense. Just kind of a lot of ifs involved with his uh, evaluation. I mean, he's right there. Uh, one of the, We talked a lot about Alabama guys, but another guy that's right above him in your list and we haven't mentioned, I don't think on our show yet, is Xavier McKinney. Um, strong safety, had another 13 tackles this week. I was wondering if you could just fill the people in on him a little bit because, like I said, we've, talk, we've hit on so many of these Alabama guys. Uh, I hate to skip over someone who might be a borderline round one pick. Yeah, well, you want to see him be more of a playmaker in coverage. I think that's why he's not a slam-dunk first-round player. Uh, but he is terrific read-react quickness uh, to be a, a playmaker in the run game. Downhill, you mentioned it, 13 tackles this past week. Uh, he leads the team in tackles uh, by a, a decent margin. Um, so there's, there's a lot to like about him as just a quality NFL safety. But if I'm going to take a safety in the first round, I need him to be a playmaker. I need him to create plays. And, and so that's why I view him as more of a second rounder um, right now, more than a first rounder. But, uh, you know, I think he's he's deserved a spot in the top 40 with how he's played so far. I've seen around a couple places just sort of the – and I'm assuming it's mainly based on, uh, you know, just some of the versatility, the ability to play in the box, but some references to him as sort of the next, you know, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, do you see any of that comparison or do you think he's a different type of guy? Oh, I think he's different. Uh, I mean, they, he, they yeah. will use him. In different ways, like he'll play the dime. He'll play. I mean, they'll they'll move him around. So I think in that respect, he there you can draw some similarities because of the way they use him, and he will play all over that defense. And Nick Saban, I Nick Saban called Minka Fitzpatrick uh, the first defensive back he ever coached that could play every single position in the secondary. Xavier McKinney can't do that. He can't play outside corner. He can't play uh, some of these other positions. But he does have versatility where the coaching staff clearly trust him to, like you said, play up in the box. He can play back. He can play a few of these positions. Um, I just talking about safety. Um, and so that is key, and that is something that will help him on draft day. So yeah, like I said, you've got a bunch of Alabama guys on here, no surprise. Clemson's well-represented. Ohio State's well-represented. Uh, one guy who's not on here, we just one of the – I mentioned we sort of threw this out on Twitter, um, who, who's not on your board, but someone had asked about is Malik Harrison – the linebacker mm. from Ohio State. Uh, I'm sure once you get beyond the top 60, you've got a ton of names uh, that are tough to keep off. Is Was he a guy that you considered here, or is he someone that you think is a a solid pick later in the draft? Just where, what's your read on him at this point? I think he's more of a third, fourth-round player uh, as opposed to first or second just because uh, I he's really good downhill. Uh, as a blitzer, as a guy that can uh, – play the run both between the hashes, but he also has a speed where he can cut off those outside runs and, you know, make plays at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but if I'm drafting a linebacker that high, I need to be able to trust him on passing downs to be more than just a downhill player and watching him in reverse. It's just not as clean. It's not as, 
He's not a guy that I necessarily trust right now in that area. So there's a lot to like about Harrison. He makes a lot of splash plays, uh, especially, like I said, downhill and blitzing. Uh, He's a very good run blitzer, but uh, he's not all the way there as an every down linebacker just yet. And so that's why I don't think he's uh, a first or second round guy, but there's a lot of ability there. And uh, Ohio State is just loaded with some of those guys. The defense looks night and day different um, for the Buckeyes. Uh, Baron Browning is a junior who is a super high recruit who's finally coming out of his shell, making uh, making plays. Uh, he's definitely a guy to watch. And then a player who uh, wasn't on the preseason board, but he made this one a Sean Wade. Uh, and the secondary players that Ohio State has churned out the last what decade have been tremendous. And we know about Jeffrey Okuda. He was. Uh, a top five player on my preseason board. He's top five player on this board. Uh, but also Sean Wade uh, adds his name to the list. Redshirt sophomore who, uh, another top recruit who, you saw the talent last year as a redshirt freshman. This year, he's playing much more like a sound football player. Um, yeah, he's talking about that read-react quickness. He's got it. He's uh, has an anticipation where he's going to blanket coverage. He understands uh, with the routes, uh, with the receivers trying to do, uh, that route anticipation is there. Um, he's a very smart player. He's an athletic player, decent size. And he plays kind of that nickel position where he plays inside. He can also play outside. If there's maybe a Minka Fitzpatrick in this draft, I think it'd be more like a Sean Wade uh, because of the versatility that he has where he can play across the secondary and he doesn't look out of place doing it. Uh, I did want to see if you had any guys that really were rising and falling here in your mind. I know we talked about uh, risers and fallers in general last week, but just in terms of your top 60, one guy I noticed that was on here, uh, we had a question uh, from your your uh, buddy Kevin Turner down there in Dallas asked us to talk mm-hmm. about Curtis Weaver at uh, Boise State, who I see is in the top 50. He's a, he's a really interesting guy. Ohaj makes a ton of plays in the backfield. I, I, he almost strikes me, just the way he uses his hands and sort of his size as, as a guy that, um, you know, again, I'm coming coming to this from the covering the Lions here. He looks like a guy Matt Patricia would use as like a five tech, as opposed to an edge rusher necessarily. But um, I just wondering what you liked about him to get him in the top fifty and sort of how you maybe see him fitting in at the next level. Do you think he's a pure edge guy or is he someone that's going to have to move around a little bit? Yeah, right. He's he's more of your base end because he's six three, two sixty five, uh, and he's not going to test overly well. At the combine, he's not that athletic marvel who is going to uh, really impress with the, the combine numbers, uh, and that's why I think he's more of a, a second round pick, uh, more so than say a first round pick. But he's been extremely productive, and not just the sacks and the tackles for loss, but just the quarterback pressures. Uh, that disruption is forcing opponents to uh, change their game plan and really. Uh, account for Curtis Weaver more than just uh, the left tackle. So uh, he's a guy that has good snap timing. He gets on the tackle quickly. He's not afraid to use his hands and go through blockers. He'll put them on their heels. Uh, he has a good uh, bull rush move. Uh, so there, there's plenty to like. He's For a guy that's not super athletic, he is being productive. And of course, that has value at the next level. It won't be as easy to just uh, steamroll through NFL tackles like he's doing the Mountain West, but uh, you know he's done enough where you know, I'm gonna take a chance on that talent um, somewhere in the top 50 or 60 picks. Um, so yeah, he's definitely a riser, um, a player we talked about 
Uh, it, it, last week as being a riser, Hunter Bryant for Washington. He's a top tight end on this board. Um, and he just he's in that Noah Fant, Evan Ingram mold where he's a awesome athlete. The reflexes, the flexibility, uh, the adjustment skills are all outstanding. He can be a yak monster with what he can do after the catch. So Hunter Bryant, as long as he stays healthy, which is a big if, if he stays healthy, Hunter Bryant, I think, has a good chance to be uh, the first tight end drafted and, uh, you know, a guy off the board somewhere in the top 40 picks. We did have a, a Twitter question just about the interior offensive line class in general and sort of scrolling up. I know there's at least a handful of guys there. Um, we've talked about Tyler Beatish a little bit. I saw you Creed Humphrey uh, from Oklahoma Center at, at mm-hmm. 23. Um so again, there's a, at least a handful of guys that play those interior line uh, roles in your top sixty. Is it? Do you have a an opinion of that class this early? You're still trying to figure out exactly how deep it's going to run. Yeah, it doesn't look like a super deep class right now, especially because all those guys you mentioned uh, are underclassmen. And so, uh, does Creed Humphrey come out as a redshirt sophomore? Uh, Beadish from Wisconsin, still a redshirt junior. No guarantee he would come out. Um, and, and he hasn't been great this year. It's been a little, been a little up and down for him. Um, still enough where, uh, you know, he made uh, or he earned a spot in the top 40, but yeah, a little bit further down compared to where I had him in the preseason draft board. Uh, one interior offensive lineman who I think people need to make sure and take notice of uh, over at Fresno State. He comes in at number 58 on this on my board. Uh, Natane Moody. He uh, is a player who, First grabbed your attention two years ago with what he did uh, in 2017. And then last year, missed basically the entire year with an Achilles injury. So I wasn't sure, kind of like the Trey Adams, you weren't sure what to expect this year, kind of wait and see. Uh, but yeah, I got the Minnesota tape, uh, Fresno State, Minnesota, and oh my, he was outstanding. He looks better than he did two years ago, last time we saw him on the field. Um, he They talked about moving him to left tackle, Last year, uh, where he played, this year they move him back inside to I think is more natural left guard. Lower body flexibility, the strong hands. Uh, he knows exactly where he needs to be, and he has the quickness where he can account for uh, the interior uh, defenders that he's facing. He has the power where he can uh, be an enforcer uh, and shield those run lanes and use his body angles and use his upper body to control the point of attack. So uh, this is a guy, check out Fresno State, check out the left guard. Uh, He is a pretty talented player and another, another underclassman, but a guy we could be talking about as part of this draft class. And again, you can check out Dane's entire Updated top 60 just up this week uh, on theathletic.com uh, and a ton of draft content from Dane too. Uh, had to uh, meet the prospect post on Alex Highsmith, who's a guy from Charlotte we talked about uh, recently on the show. Always get the the uh, sort of previews before the weekend about the what, what NFL scouts will be watching. So make sure you sign up. There was uh, another meet the prospect at one of these uh, one of these shows we should talk about Adam Troutman, the Dayton uh, tight mm. end quarterback mm-hmm. convert um but yeah lots of stuff up there from dane already uh if you want to go check out all that including the top 60 did want to spend a couple minutes here before we wrap this first show of the week on uh, just going back to what happened in the nfl and specifically on uh, Dwayne haskins because we talked about you know whether he was ready to step in and be a starter we're seeing a bunch of rookies get sort of thrown into the fire here mainly because of injury but 
you know, some have handled it well. We saw a big moment for Gardner Minshew this weekend. Uh, great story from Lindsey Jones, who was uh, with his family in the stands in Denver as as Minshew sort of uh, helped lead his team back to a win there. Uh, but Dwayne Haskins forced into action against the Giants on the road, finishes 9-17, throws three picks, uh, one of them taken back to the house, got sacked a couple times. I just don't know what you do moving forward. It's it's always tough when you get into these spots where you have a quarterback that you know needs some time to develop, and you've got a team that's just awful and an offensive line that's really struggling. Like I don't know where the breaking point is where you say, "All right, we can't keep using this guy." But uh, I, you know, sort of see moving forward what the what Washington wants to do here. Um, uh, do you have any reaction to, to Dwayne Haskins' first appearance as a pro? It was just a train wreck. And, I mean, he wasn't ready. And we know that because Jay Gruden told us that, you know, last week. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't think it was any big surprise that he, he, he looked shaky. And, I, like, I don't know what we take out of that performance because he's clearly not ready. He doesn't have uh, the timing down with the first-team offense. Um, you know, he he just needs more work before he's ready for that. And, um you know, it's it's something that I don't know if Jay Gruden just kind of was getting mad at Case Keenum and said, all right, forget it. You're done. Let's just let's throw the rookie out there and see what happens. And, you know, uh, it, he saw what happened. I mean, he knew that it's kind of like he, he, he got tired of telling the media and everybody else fans that, look, Haskins isn't ready. And so he said, you know what? You guys don't believe me? Okay, here he is. And he, he's clearly not ready. And But that's also a reflection of the coaching staff because they have not done a good job of preparing him for uh, game action. And so if they're considering playing Haskins, they need to do a better job during the week of getting him ready. Uh, and that happens in practice. That happens, happens in the meeting room, in the film room. Um, and so, you know, I think his next start for Haskins will tell us much more than this first one. Uh, but yeah, we talk about these rookies starting, uh, glad you mentioned Gardner Minshew, uh, Daniel Jones, uh, it wasn't always pretty min- or for Jones. He had more interceptions than he did touchdowns, but giants get another win. Um, but yeah, it sure looks like, uh, if we're going to take bets for who's going to be the first head coach fired before the end of the year, uh, I think Jay Gruden has to be uh, top of that list. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of contenders at the moment, <laughs> and the, there are. the rookie head coaches aren't doing very well either, which I doubt you're pulling the plug four games into a rookie head coach. Uh, but yeah, the, the the situation with Haskins is just, I there wasn't really any chance it was going to go well. Like you said, they said he wasn't ready. <laughs> Down th- three offensive linemen, I think, including Trent Williams, mm-hmm. Brandon Scherf's been banged up. The guy he might have leaned on as his, as his safety net, Terry McLaurin, because he's familiar with him, wasn't there. He didn't play. So, like, it's, I, yeah, I mean, it was always going to go poorly, I think. You kind of cross your fingers for Haskins and hope it goes better than that. But um, now, you, now you're in a spot where you got to decide if you can stick with him, if you pull him back to the bench. Uh, and, and I guess that's just sort of the last thought I wanted to get out here and, and before we wrap up is uh, – I know it's hard to sort of read these quarterbacks and get get a feel for where they're at mentally and emotionally as they go through the draft process and head into the NFL. But just from what you know about Dwayne Haskins and your sense of him, how's he going to react if this is, you know, he's sort of getting dumped into the lineup in these tough spots and then benched again and dumped back into the lineup and on a team that goes 2-14? and 14, I mean, is there any concern about him from a mental aspect that he's going to 
really struggle with that or check out at any point? Or is he a guy that you think can handle a situation like that? I think he can handle it. He's a really mature guy. Um, and that's that's what you got from the Ohio State coaches. They talked about his maturity, um, just the, the way he could handle things. And whenever you talk to him, uh, you get that sense as well. Um, he's still young. And so there's always – the NFL is just a different animal. And that's what makes – Projecting guys to the next level is so tough is because d- different people react differently to uh, the business that is the NFL. When you're in a locker room full of, uh, you know, 26, 28, 30-year-old guys who are relying on you for their paycheck and you're the quarterback and there's so much pressure, you're a first-round pick, it just it, it can eat guys up. But um, I do think Haskins will be okay uh, based off of that. Um, you know, he'll bounce back fine. Now, if he has a couple more of these outings, it's going to get tougher. Um, so, you know, it's important that he shows progress. And that, I think that's a big reason why Daniel Jones is, you know, for him to block out all the noise and go out and perform like he has is commendable. And I think Dwayne Haskins is capable of that. But, you know, we're going to have to see it to, uh, you know, if there's going to be any progression uh, from from him. So, you know, I think everything you heard about uh, pre uh, before the draft process, during the draft process, from Ohio State coaches, from NFL teams, were that you know he he could handle it, but um, again, it's he's not getting the best support. Uh, at least that's how it seems from the outside, it go, looking in uh, with that coaching staff and what they're doing to prepare him. So uh, it's definitely something to watch. And Washington gets uh, New England this week, so good luck, good luck oh, to everyone yeah. involved there. Perfect. Uh, yeah, that, we'll uh, we probably won't touch on that game on Thursday when we look ahead to the weekend. But uh, no, uh, we'll definitely get into the college football schedule coming up. Uh, maybe some uh, week five in the NFL. And again, that Thursday show is for subscribers of theathletic.com only. It comes with the subscription, so uh, make sure you get in theathletic.com/slash/prospects-to-pros. Get access to that, our entire podcast network, everything on the website. That's all ad-free, including the podcast, if you go through our athletic app. So uh, we'll be back with that show later in the week. And until then, for Kent Garrison and Dane Brugler, I'm Chris Burke. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.